and welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this evening or this morning or this afternoon or whenever you're going to be listening because after all, it's your podcast. Uh, now, joining me today, he's been on many, many times. We're actually just counting up before he came on. It's been lots. <laughs> it's almost like he's a co-host. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the man. It's the man with a plan. It's the man who's not... He's not um, outside the box, he's, he's inside the box. It's Peter Blinken from Inside the Box Board Game. So, hello, Peter. Hello, Richard. How are you? Um, yeah, I'm good, actually. I've had a long day. It's been very, very productive, though. Um, <laughs> you know, sorting out people's problems, rescuing cats from trees. Um, the usual one, yeah. And then, you know, receiving mysterious packages in the mail that turn out to be little boxes of joy which is always kind of good <laughs> fun um for people who haven't listened before thank you for joining us the reason that we do this is because there's quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games quite so there's just not enough there's actually only about two and a half of us in scotland because there's us there's unlucky frog gaming with ben and josh who've been on they're lovely and there's also the um, there's also the first player token as well, who we actually spoke to the other week. So there you go. So you know, contact has been made, and negotiations are underway. But um, today we're gonna have a little chat with Peter about um, we're gonna talk about Kickstarter campaigns, and we're gonna talk um, a little bit about Subterra because Peter's been on the show quite a few times and we've been talking about Subterra. Um, we're going to also have a little chat about what happened after that and we're also going to talk a little bit about the Newspeak campaign and then we're also going to talk about a nice little tabletop type association that we'd like you to know a little bit about. So, um, first of all, Peter, it's good to have you back on. Yeah, it's good to be back. You know, it's um, it's been a while. It's been a couple of it's been a couple of months. It's not yeah, been too long. Um, let's just I mean, let's just dive in. We'll set we'll kind of set the scene. Um, Subterra did very very well on the Kickstarter, and um, everything was kind of going going to plan, and then there were a couple of uh, things that occurred during the kind of the the kind of production phase of it and then the fulfillment phase of it um obviously you've been on kind of the facebook groups and you know obviously within the kind of the the campaign stuff and and things like that as well i mean i mean let's start off i mean what were what were your thoughts i mean when did things kind of maybe you felt there was a couple of kind of bumps that kind of turned up when was it the first thing you went oh this is this is a bit more trickier to kind of get fulfilled and get produced in we originally kind of planned yeah i think the 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 kind of I want to say like the kind of wave of euphoria that came from sort of the end of the campaign and the sort of months afterwards kind of came to a bit of a a shuddering stop when we hit uk games expo um despite the fact you know like uk games expo in isolation was was an amazing event you know we had a, a really great stall loads of great engaged volunteers you know we won mm -hmm. an award that was amazing yeah. Um, but that was kind of where, where the problems really started. I mean, back in, in, so that was in sort of the first weekend of June. I mean, back in April, um, sort of, I think it was first or second of April, 
um, last year, I went to Watson's factory, uh, the manufacturer that we use uh, for Bustle Terra and for Statecraft um, as well. And um, I went around the factory, you know, had a great time, you know, talking with all the staff, um, you know, chatting with all, all the sort of the admin staff, talking through the, the process for, that they go through when we send them the files to actually getting it physically printed. Um, and that was a really positive experience. And, you know, while, while I was there, they actually printed um, five copies of Statecraft and five copies of Subterra as uh-huh. they would do, you know, and actually went through the man- mass manufacturing process, just did a few of them. Um, just to kind of show me how it, how it all worked and what would come out the other end of it, which was really exciting to see. Um, the difficulty was then that for one reason or another, they had a, a lot of significant delays in the factory. Um, so while the original plan, which to be honest, I made a, a misjudgment in in not not keeping to myself, I want to say. Um, the original plan was to, to have everything fulfilled around about the time of the UK Games Expo. Yeah. Um, the you know they, we planned out you know this is how much time it's going to take us to get the the um, the, the sort of surveys done, have all the information in. We'll send that to the factory. They'll have everything prepped and ready. They'll print them. It'll take them this long. Then we'll have them. Freight will take this long. If it's going to take a bit longer, or air freight or something like that, we've got the funds. Uh, obviously, that was pretty unlikely because you know, <laughs> blooming expensive. Um, but anyway, we'll, you know, we get into the UK and you know if we're not, we're kind of thinking to ourselves, you know, well if we don't get it get to do the fulfillment actually at UK Games Expo. Yeah. Uh, you know, it'll be about the same time. So even if we have to air freight a few few in advance, you know, it'll be with, within a week or two. Um, and we were kind of thought, well, you know, we, we did say that, that this might be a possibility on the campaign. We've been quite open about that, that there might be a, a bit of lag between the two. Um, so, but, you know, people seem generally fine with that. Um, so we thought it'd be okay. The, the real problem came when we got closer to, to UK Games Expo. And it became increasingly clear that the factory had really overpromised, um, which you know kind of factored in with the fact that we've been more and more open about this plan that we cooked up to get everything ready for Expo. Yeah, um, and everyone knew that we were going to be you know selling games at Expo. When it became clear that they wanted, they weren't going to get their you know their pledges for quite a while, um, it, it became clear that people were unhappy um, because the. The way the manufacturing process worked, they did a few of the core games first, and then they carried on doing the rest of the core games. Sent that first chunk across for the expo, but it took so damn long to complete the rest of the stuff uh-huh. because because it all had to be shipped over in one go rather than you know shipping a few bits over at a time. Um, it meant that it took you know a couple of months longer than than expected, even at that point. Um, did things? I mean, was I mean logistically, you went up potentially from. I mean, let's face it, from a couple of hundred backers up to six and a half thousand backers. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that goes from putting in an order which people would have slotted into, you know, um, we're going to slot your order into this two-week period and then send it out. Did that vastly, I take it that must have vastly increased the time scale, even to produce the game itself. Did that have a bit of a... Did that have a bit of a delay on things as well? Because yeah. Because they were waiting to get everything kind of together. Yeah, it did. I mean, the, probably, probably the. I mean, you know, the factories are they're pretty good at managing that kind of thing. I mean, they have orders much, much bigger than the kind of ones that we're putting in as well. Sort of fit around it. So, you know, it was a it was a big, complicated order that involved a lot of different suppliers and a lot of different processes in the factory. But probably the biggest thing that hit it was that kind of made that problem worse was that they were moving factories at the time. Um, yeah. So I actually visited the new factory site in April. It was sort of like they, they wanted to let me see kind of the new bigger site and kind of you know impress their client with all this extra kit they were going to have. 
Um, but the, the difficulty with that was that the transition period over which you know, they, they slowly got new equipment to put into the new factory or transferred equipment from the old patch to the new factory meant that their normal workflow processes got thrown way off. Um, so they couldn't hire staff fast enough, uh, as far as I can tell, to, to kind of pick up that, that massive upsurge in, in business that we're getting. At the same time, they're trying to manage that very complex logistical exercise of moving an entire factory operation from, from what basically one city to another. Um, so it meant that because our project was very complicated, you know, we had plastic and wood and card and grey board, and we had specialist printing effects like the UV fluorescent stuff that was, it took a lot of very specialist knowledge, specialist sort of team from their end. It was all yeah. perfectly plausible. It just took a long time. Um, and because of these kind of, that complexity and the fact there was a lot of them um, and they were moving factories at the same time and they'd misjudged the amount of time they thought it was going to take them to make, it took a lot longer than we thought. Um, and kind of, to be honest, like it, it was my experience that, that really compounded that problem because I, I didn't see that coming, honestly, um, which is probably a bit naive of me, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I know, but I mean, in all fairness, though, going from a couple of hundred orders up to 6,000, I mean, it's not like you get... Is there? I mean, there's probably blogs out there, but I don't. There's probably not a blog that says, "Listen, when your when your Kickstarter exceeds expectations by three thousand percent, this is kind of what you should what you should do." I mean, yeah. in in heights in hindsight, um, with the expo thing, I mean, and I know there was kind of like a mixed response. There were obviously people kind of coming kind of coming around to you and saying, "Well, you know, it's fine because you stated that you were going to be selling the the games at the expo." Um, and then, then there was some that I think when they found out the delay, they were like, "Oh, um, it became a little bit of a, a kind of a, a millstone round your neck." Is that it was yeah. almost like you had made one mistake, and then it was going to come back repeatedly, repeatedly again and again and again. I mean, in hindsight, do you? Would you have, if you had the time again, would you have gone ahead and still sold the games at the UK Games Expo? Or would you have held back a bit, or was it did that huff? You know, I mean, I've I've heard defence of this because there has been other businesses that have gone ahead and sold kind of games or made games available at different expos, you know, Gen Con and stuff like that. Um, and it's a financial decision. I mean, you're there as a games. You can't just design a game and kickstart a game if you're not kind of selling the game as well. Would you have gone ahead and still? sold the game again if you'd known it had been was going to be delayed that long um probably not to be honest i mean if you know with, with the the knowledge that i have now looking back in hindsight i would have told myself you know that was one ago was six seven months ago like don't sell those games because this is going to take far longer than you originally expected mm -hmm. and you know the, the calculus that we had in our heads at the time was it's going to be within a few weeks and that's the worst it's going to be and yeah. I think when, you know, we, when we had that conversation with backers, they were like, yeah, that's fine. Like, yeah, I guess it'd be nice to have them first, but I, I get, like, within a week or so, you know, logistics is such that there's a bit of variability in there. Um, I think that would have been fine, but, um, you know, there might be the old person who, who you know, firmly believed that, that they should get their games first. I, I can kind of understand that perspective, to be honest, but I think, yeah, had, had we known it was going to be months later, like, I absolutely wouldn't have done. I mean, even, you know, we'd, we'd bought a big stand at the UK Games Expo expecting to be able to, to sell you know enthusiastically uh, the copies of Subterra that we had um, and it was a bit weird because we were like we don't we don't really feel comfortable doing it 
but at the same time we had to i mean we would have gone under if we hadn't to be honest by that point we'd already committed and yeah. we, we, we couldn't have rung up richard and tony and said sorry actually we don't want this huge stand that you now can't sell um you know we, we weren't going to be able to do that really and and realistically it's an, it was such a massive opportunity for us to to kind of show our success and and show that we we got this great new game and we were excited about it and you know off, off the back of that we got a lot of distribution orders um you know we won an award which is really cool um and a lot of people got to see our game that, that we were really proud of um so like even with that said i think we probably still would have been like you know what with that knowledge no let's not sell these games you know let's keep them back let's make sure we get everything squared away um because if i'd known it was going to take this that long to, to get it all sorted like you know the, like you said the calculation would have changed significantly it would have been a case of shall we sell a few of these games just to keep ourselves afloat a bit longer yeah. um for the sake of some very upset backers understandably well it's pretty clear what the answer should be to be honest um but uh but yeah it was it didn't feel like it was a hard decision at the time i think because the the understanding of how badly things could have gone wrong wasn't there um you know so one of the, the difficulties was that you know when when we launched of terror i say we it was literally just me um you know the whole company was just me um yeah. and, you know now we've got you know a few employees and we've got a lot of freelancers helping us out i've got a lot of supporters worldwide even that are there kind of helping contribute to the projects um but at that point you know like I wasn't that experienced, you know, pretty much fresh out of university at that point. Um, you know, I, I, I tried to do what I could to, to prepare and get things sorted and kind of manage the problems, but I honestly got completely overwhelmed with it uh, and just stuck on mist. Um, and it's because of that that a lot of these problems came about, to be honest. You know, kind of didn't prepare enough for enough of the eventualities that unfortunately did end up happening. I mean, the, um, I mean, so things were stuck at kind of like, you're waiting in the factory for things to to kind of proceed um mm. and then there was a little bit of a gap in updates between obviously the end of the games expo and then the next update was in kind of september mm. during that time were you kind of getting what seemed like a kind of a bad news email on a regular basis was it a case of oh my goodness when do i update these people when do i update these people or by that time you had to just kind of dive in and say, "Looking, this is what this is what the, the kind of the situation was." Yeah, I mean, one of the the big things that really made the whole situation difficult was, you know, if if someone had sat me down in like July and presented me with a document that outlined exactly what all the problems going to be, exactly what time, and exactly how it's going to pan out, I basically, you know, it would have been easier. Just like, right, there you go, guys. This is what's happened. Like, this is what's gonna this is what's gonna end up happening. This is why. You know, no one's trying to con you out of anything. This is just a bad situation, and I'm sorry. Um, and I would have been quite comfortable with that. It's it, it's quite difficult, I guess. To I mean, it, you know, it is difficult to be like, guys, I messed up, and I'm sorry. Um, but it's even harder when you can't give them get a clear answer. Like you know, understandably, people are like, why why has it gone wrong? And then when you say, well, it's kind of a bit of this, a bit of that. People like, well, it sounds like you're making excuses. It doesn't sound like you're being honest. Um, and then people obviously call it a question whether you're being honest in general. Like, can they actually hold you to your word? And yeah. To to a, to a great extent, I think that's that's the kind of the key value of a, of a Kickstarter creator is is how much you can trust them. Like, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of how you see the Kickstarter process, and there's obviously a lot of different opinions about how it it does and should work. You put in money 
onto a thing that may or may not arrive and you're putting your trust in a person that, that says you're going to get that thing. Um, and what ended up basically happening over that period of time was that we were getting a lot of kind of incomplete or inaccurate information. Um, so, you know, we were getting information from the factory on, you know, when things are going to be complete and then, you know, the, the timeline would change daily. You know, I keep bugging them for an update and then we get something that was wildly inaccurate compared to the thing we gave me the day before. Um, Did that then kind of put you off from issuing an official update if you knew that the things were kind of a little bit woolly? Because in all these situations, the comment section on any anything at all where things get slightly salty, be it a YouTube channel comment to you know, anywhere, a forum comment, mm. Twitter, you know, Facebook, you know, things, you know, there are people that have a genuine kind of concern to say, listen, we haven't had an update or we were waiting for this and I've been promised this or what's this about this, what's this about that? Um, and then you get the guys that are just going, they seem to transform into some kind of um, pretty hate machine kind of thing. <laughs> That's it. You've taken my money. Um, I'm never ever going to get this back. I've not heard anything from you, kind of thing. All the information seems to be wildly inaccurate. You keep kind of changing your tune. Did you? Is it hard from a person where you're ultimately taking responsibility? Mm. Because the most difficult thing is easy enough to say, well, it's the you know, it's the factories. You know, the factory should have done this. I should have done this. Is it hard to try and filter out all of the feedback that you're getting? from different people, be it the kind of the backers, kind of, especially some of the ones that were a bit maybe across the line or some that were just like, listen, I'm really disappointed in this, you know, you just kind of feel let down. Yeah. Were, was it was it difficult to stay focused and say, listen, I've got to focus on this project. I can't let things like this kind of really kind of drag me down. Or did you find, was it affecting things like mental health, your mental health and things like that? I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think it's a, it's kind of weird to talk about it, to be honest. I mean, I, I don't want it to sound like an excuse, because I don't think it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does It does significantly impact you and, you know, the team in general. When, when you get a project like a Kickstarter project where everyone's so emotionally invested in the thing, yeah. um, you know, the people running the project, it's not just a job. It's not just, you know, a day in the office, you know, it, even though sometimes literally it is at the moment. Um, you know, this is a company that isn't really what you think of a company as being. It's it's a group of friends in a room that are really excited to make a thing, and they really they really enjoy making a thing, and they really want to share it with people, and yeah. that they think might enjoy it. So it it does hurt when someone says something a bit mean. Um, I think largely, to be honest, I mean interactions I've had with a lot of backers or customers or whoever who said something that, on the face of it, is like. Damn, that was a bit mean. Oh, whoa. Like, what the heck? Where did that come from? Generally, it's just a communication thing. Like, um, I mean, I've, I've talked to customers before where the, you read the message, you're like, oh my God, like, where did that come from? It's so, like, nasty. Yeah. And, and then you actually get, like, given the benefit of the doubt, you actually talk to them, you realize, you know, it's, it might be something like they've had a bad day. Um, and it's, it's sometimes really difficult, you know, when you're writing something down to convey the same kind of like intonation or, or kind of tone or whatever that you would do um, when you're, you're talking to someone face to face. And generally, it's like, I think now I've kind of learned to, to kind of almost like imagine me saying that thing, um, whatever it is, whether it's a nice comment, a, a 
and not so nice comment anywhere in between and think like what what's this person actually thinking like what what's this person like what was the the issue or the problem or the thing they're actually trying to communicate not the like the literal words they're using um but like what are they using those words to try and communicate so then then it makes it a lot easier um but i think to start with like you just you do basically literally just read the comments and be like you know this person said you're a con artist and you're like that's incredibly hurtful. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's, not. it's like, well, yeah, I was just like, how do, how do I convince this person over the internet that I'm not actually a con man? Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I, I'm sitting there with a with a project that's been delayed by a countless number of months. Um, I have, I've seemed to have taken in what people would consider a reasonably large amount of money. I have not yet fulfilled the project, even though I was telling people I would expect it to be delivered in June. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, well, there's. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't yeah. understand. But I mean, I, that's the, the thing is as well. Like this is. It's, it's frustrating because it's like I'm having, having conversations with people. Like I, I totally get it. Like this is really bloody annoying. Like you know, I've I've been in this position as a backer before, where you know someone's made, you know, they've overpromised due to inexperience or just enthusiasm. Let's be honest. Um, and gone, hey, you're going to get your game by this point, or it's going to have this, that, and the other, and then it arrives and it's not what you were expecting, or it, it wasn't there when you were expected it. And the person goes, crap, I messed up. Um, and I even find myself doing it, to be honest. E- even when I've been in this position, thinking, did they do that on purpose? Or are they just incompetent? Hmm. And like, I think the, the difficulty is that so many people have been burned on online platforms, not not necessarily Kickstarter, but you know things like eBay or whatever, where you have a really negative experience of interacting with someone selling you something or mm-hmm. taking your money for something like Kickstarter. That when something does go wrong, people, including myself, you know, you, you make it a, an assumption about that that person in a negative way. Um, you kind of filter it through that negative experience, which it's it, that whole kind of like thinking process has helped me understand why people. It, 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 it was quite confusing when you know there was a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of positivity around the campaign, and a few things started going wrong, and then the kind of the whole tone shifted. And it wasn't as if it was different people; it was pretty much the same people. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it was because they they felt like they'd been tricked, uh, I think, or like they felt like they'd been misled. I guess. Um, Is it not more the case that if you're if you're in your if you become invest because Kickstarter is is a bit emotional investment. Mm. The best and most successful campaigns, if you look down the comments, the ones that really really storm it, always have a vibrant community. I remember seeing Frank West with City of Kings. The comments, mm. the number of comments that he has on there. I remember the wonderful Mark Neidlinger, who, by the way, keeps on going on. I don't mention him enough in the podcast. So hi, Mark, <laughs> um, my good man. Um, you're the best, and. Uh, Again, it's the kind of the community. Is it a case that if things were kind of obviously things you're getting updates and for we're going, oh, I was championing this and now I kind of by proxy also look like a bit of a fool for telling my friends about it and welcoming people in and encouraging them to be part of the community and kind of buy into the kind of the message as well. So when people are like, actually, this this is. A delay, people kind of go, oh shit! Well, I, I've invested my time in this, and this is now, I'm now looking like a bit of a fool for being the champion of this game when I thought it was going to be wonderful and fantastic and everything like that. Well, yeah, I mean that, that's exactly it. I mean, it's it's honestly the most depressing thing that's come out of this whole debacle. Has been 
you know, going from that last couple of hours in the campaign where it's like this live stream and seeing people being so excited and so enthusiastic yeah. and honestly just incredibly supportive. Um, you know, not, not necessarily because they were like, you know, I really personally am invested in Peter's success, you know, or anything like that, but just they, they really liked what we were doing and they really wanted to, to help help see that go forward. And then seeing those same people feel like they, like like I said, like feel like they were misled. Um, and then, you know, when they, when they discuss their experiences, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or Kickstarter or whatever, you know, they're, they're talking about the project in a really different way. And like, it's it's really difficult to see because obviously I want to solve those problems. Like I'm, it's it's constantly frustrating that I can't just flick a magic switch and make it all work. Um, yeah. You know, there's so many different moving parts of the project, and there's so many different problems that have happened in the meantime that it isn't as simple as just going, "Oh well, we just need to do this." You know, I've got, I'm looking at my whiteboard right now, and there's like three or four different things that I need to do tomorrow to make sure that things keep moving in the right direction. Um, did you um, did you get did you get caught up in the the kind of I guess the hype? Looking back with some of the oh yeah I definitely guess, looking at stretch goals and stuff like that. I mean, frankly, that was... I panicked. Um, like honestly, um, I mean, I remember I remember day two of the campaign, basically just like sat there, like thousand yard stare, going, "Oh god, did not expect this. What do I do?" Um, like I was expecting to feel like really excited um, and really like happy, and all I could think of was, "Oh God, is this going to be one of those campaigns where it all goes horribly wrong because it's so big?" Um, <laughs> ironic, ironic now, but um, but yeah, I mean, like it was, it was incredibly exciting, and I think because it was just me on my own for the most part, it's it was very hard to kind of get snap out of that. Like I mean, I was living and breathing it every waking minute. Like my girlfriend got sick of me talking about the damn thing. Um, like, um, like incredibly supportive, but I'm not surprised that she she told me to stop talking about board games a few times during that month. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was times when I was working, you know, like twenty hour days, just like sat on the comment section pretty much the whole day, talking to people, making sure they had their questions answered, updating and stuff, whatever. And I think that that did make it difficult to separate myself from it and reapproach it as a kind of as a business proposition. Um, at a few crucial points where it, I felt the need to, you know, announce all these stretch goals, announce all these little bits, and overdo it, because I think looking back in hindsight, you know, some of them weren't necessary, and I think if I had allowed myself a bit more space, I probably could have structured that in a way that that made more sense or was more feasible in the time, um, or was simpler to probably crucially simpler to, to deliver, because um, it was some of those small details that got missed and um, that people were most upset about. Like what? Um, um, so it was like one of the things with the. Um, it, it, it was a little thing at the time, but obviously it, it became a kind of. I think to people a kind of marker of what had gone wrong um, was the like custom meeples for the horrors. Um, so this design that we came up with, uh, Zach came up with for this like custom wood uh, thing for the horror meeples. Um, but when I chatted it through, when we kind of unlocked the stretch goal with Tim, um, and to be honest, I should have had this conversation with him a long time before that, he was like, nah. This doesn't really work, I don't think. Um, so, like, okay, well, you know, Tim is the designer of the game, and we kind of put him in a creative director role within the kind of Subterra team as, a, as such. Um, so, at that point, I was like, right, okay, well, if Tim thinks that's going to affect the gameplay in a negative way, then let's not do it. That doesn't seem sensible. Yeah. Um, and I didn't tell people straight away. I think I popped in a comment or something. 
um, when someone mentioned it or like buried in an update somewhere, um, rather than kind of putting it at the forefront because I didn't think at the time I didn't really think people would mind that much. Um, but because a few other bits and bobs weren't quite as people expected, obviously people started looking through the project kind of well, what else did you know what else did they cut corners on? Um, understandably looking at it in that way, to be honest, and you know it, it ended up. A few details like that getting missed or, or being done in a slightly different way that people expected. Yeah, it kind of compounded the situation. So like, we ended up with like a lot of small issues that I think individually no one really would have really cared about. Um, maybe some of them, but um, I think because there was that plus the kind of the shipping delays and the kind of the the unmatched expectations, people got pr- pretty annoyed to be honest. Like it started off as being like oh, that's a bit annoying to like. Okay, this is pretty pretty frustrating now to like downright like we hate you. What are you doing with our money? Kind of thing. Um, and again, when you can't sort it out straight away, that that gets pretty stressful. Because um, like you know, when someone emails me and be like, "Hey, where's my game?" It's it's not an easy problem to solve. It's not like you just kind of there's a, like a screen in front of you that tells you. Um, you know, you have to look that information up, and when you've got that times a thousand every day um, it gets pretty crazy um like it's gonna say it's completely understandable um, i mean i actually just uh, built a salesforce system um, so i can deal with everything a bit more more efficiently um so we can do things a little faster for people but uh but yeah it's 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 those little bits that it's multiplying it by six thousand yeah i think that's yeah. the thing i think if it had been uh because i mean i don't think i've seen there's always there's at the moment and this is the key time of the year let's face it chinese new year is upon mm. us there's going to be a lot of places kind of closing down the whole month and yeah. <laughs> you know because of that i have probably seen about five or six kind of communications coming in from different companies saying guys the factory is closing therefore we haven't quite made the time that we were expecting to, mm. but now we're unfortunately it's going to be in our six weeks before we kind of kind of clear the time, and when you increase that by obviously number of games and six thousand kind of you know it's when one problem has to get multiplied by six thousand times, yeah. it's almost like an update. An update isn't going to cut it. No, not exactly. Because if there's a hundred people and you're putting out an update, it's still a community. It's like a hundred people and folk will be like, "That's all right, it'll be fine." When you get 6,000 people, people are like, well, I'm part of a large customer base now, so I expect you're almost moving into that individuality kind of peep thing. Mm. So if you are saying, oh, I'm sorry, but you you 20 guys, your shipping's going to be late. Those 20 guys are like, that's, you know, okay. And they console each other and say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's fine. If you multiply that by 30 and it's all of a sudden it's 600 guys, then people are obviously... It turns into a crowd, and then it can turn into a mob, and then but you can then you can kind of understand as well, you know, from from a kind of a oh yeah from a certain point of view. I mean, I think um, one of the sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. What were you going to say? I mean, well, I think one of the I mean, we were talking about this last week. We had a big sort of big team meeting, um, just kind of like regrouping after the Newspeak campaign and stuff. Um, and we sat down. And we thought, like, what what was the you know, aside from the kind of the things that happened, the kind of problems that happened, like how could we have managed this whole situation better? Um, 
And we kind of reached the, the conclusion in the team that one of the things we've made a, a sort of serious misstep on was the way we presented ourselves. Um, I think, I, I, don't, I don't really know where it came from, to be honest, but there was a point where we, we shifted from it's kind of Pete and his mates in his bedroom, like knocking about doing a project to inside the box board games publishing kind of thing. Um, and I think part of that was, you know, we've got multiple games in the catalogue. I'm trying to build a brand. We've got a bigger presence at conventions and stuff like that. We, you know, we, we were aspiring to be this, this big successful studio and kind of wanted to, to show that to people. <clears throat> at the same time, I think people... I mean, I even had it today, to be honest, and someone referred to our social media department. And I was like, I just kind of like looked at Paul and was like, <laughs> so that's, that's you then. <laughs> um, who's also, you know, customer service and logistics as well, and conventions and community and all the other things he does. Um, and it, it just struck me that like, if, if someone at this point in, in the kind of the pipeline feels as though they're not understanding what the company is, um, in terms of like how big it is and where it kind of sits in that kind of customer expectations kind of thing, you know, we're, we're not we're not FFG. You know, we don't have a whole room full of people answering your customer queries. Um, it's usually just like whoever can get to the email fast enough. Um, yeah, but is it not also the thing as well that is if you know you're funded by, I mean, you're funded by a, th- a third of a million pound, mm. and then there's all of a sudden there's a rebranding exercise and a big name and folk are like going, oh well, okay, so. What, who's paying for this then? Kind of thing. Where's my? What isn't the money supposed to go into the board game as opposed to kind of like making you look like you've got a pretty logo and and everything else? Kind of thing. Yeah, I mean the logo cost two hundred quid because a mate did it. Um, like, <laughs> you know, um, and it's a damn good logo. Um, it was a Lewis from Frank Frank Caves actually. Um, oh. Yeah, give, give me a deal. Um, but yeah, I mean like the, the the I think the big problem, you know, it's not like we spent a huge amount of money on marketing or anything like that. It was. It was more the kind of the, the style of communication that we think caused the problem. It's mm. like kind of referring to ourselves as ITB and referring to ourselves as the company and the team. And I think we, we kind of picked up cues from, from other companies that we kind of respected and kind of aspired to be like, but ended up kind of parroting the way they talked about things rather than thinking about the most appropriate way to, to kind of talk about ourselves. And yeah. um, so we ended up. I mean, this is, this is only really our perspective, to be honest, but we kind of feel like we, we presented ourselves as this big, successful company when, in fact, we were this, like, small studio that was doing all right. You know, we'd, we'd had a bit of success, but we were hardly FFG. Um, and I think that's that's kind of where we, we fell into a bit of a trap for ourselves, to be honest. We kind of shot ourselves in the foot a bit. Um, where people's expectations of us kind of... When we talked about ourselves as this big, successful company, um, which, realistically, we weren't. And then we'd got so much money in from that campaign like people's expectations went from indie board game kickstarter to you know the kind of service you expect from like a cmon project where you know they've got a customer service team and they've got a lot of people backing them up um because it was a similar level of campaign i guess yeah but i mean there was i mean the uk had some successes with the kickstarters you know, as I say, we've already spoken about um, the wonderful, amazing Frank West <laughs> and what City of Kings happened. And then there's obviously there's Kevin Young, mm-hmm, absolutely, um, as well. You know, um, and they, you know, they were all campaigns that reached kind of into into kind of six figures. Yeah. Um, do you think that 
looking further back, um, there was a couple of things that you had to get sorted out with, you know, kind of um, statecraft. Mm. Did that also kind of not, did it also kind of compound the situation a little bit as well? Did you get people kind of coming back and going, oh, well, there was there's a couple of things with statecraft kind of thing? Um I mean, honest, you managed, I mean, that was pretty all sorted out, as far as I was aware. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, not to the same extent, really. Cause, I mean, the. I mean, to, to be honest, what ended up happening with, with both projects, to, to different extents and in different ways, was we had a very ambitious project, and the difficulty was because the the, the ambition didn't really go away after the the end of the project. We ended up kind of pouring more ambition into stuff. Um, which meant that those odd little bits from the statecraft campaign didn't get done as, as fast as they maybe could have been done. Um, so when we were launching the campaign, people were like, well, what about those things you start to sort out? And I think the, the, the difficulty was that I didn't do a particularly good job of letting people know how those things were getting done, just that they were getting done. So people were like, okay, well, it was lovely that you're saying it's on its way or it's getting done, but like I have no understanding of whether that's just like corporate babble or whether it's like yeah. this is actually happening. Um, yeah. So it's things like you know the the production for Statecraft and Subterra happened at the same time because a lot of the artwork and stuff that was being finished off for Statecraft took a lot longer than we expected. Yeah. And for Subterra, it took a heck of a lot, like heck of a shorter time than, than, than we thought. Um, so they coincided. Um, and then, like, basically, just ended up not doing a very good job of like saying what was going on, and people got confused and got frustrated. Um, and it it didn't really affect the the Subterra campaign, I don't think. Um, but I think the because of those issues kind of affected two campaigns, people's faith in our ability to actually deliver stuff really declined. Um, it it didn't. I don't think it really felt from that perspective like it was an isolated incident. It was more like this is how they roll. Um, yeah, which was it was unfortunate because to an extent, you know, like it was a fuck up on both parts, but it was at the same time like things were were getting significantly better, you know, week by week. It was just that big things were happening in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, fulfillment comes round, and that leads to, you know, you must have been sitting there going, "Well, finally getting everything kind of out the door," and then, um. You know, there's kind of then people are asking about kind of tracking and mm. where their orders are and stuff like that, which is still something which is kind of occurring yeah. at the moment for some of the sub subterra, you know, for some of the subterra kind of backers. Um, I mean, what what kind of ha- what kind of happened with that? I mean, what was the situation? Because it appeared that the UK got stuff, got their stuff. The US was waiting for some time. And then you kind of got the bit where you got people kind of, and I don't know. I've seen this with, um, I've seen this quite recently with Pan, you know, Pandasaurus and Dinosaur Island, where mm. people were playing the game. People who had backed the game were waiting for the game, and then people were also waiting for other parts as well. Um, did you just, did you just roll your eyes and switch off your computer and then crawl under your duvet when you started to get reports that things weren't? <laughs> Okay, no. Because I can understand you just going, just gonna go and offer. Oh, <laughs> like honestly, the temptation is there every day. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 not easy when you get up in the morning and the first thing you see is an inbox full of people going, 
what the hell's going on. Um, yeah. It, it's not it's not good, especially when you can't do anything about it or you can't do anything about it fast enough or you don't know what to do about it. Um, I mean, it, you know, as, as much as we try our best to be like, you know, be, be clear with the information that we've got and, and kind of pass it on to backers, what they don't, I mean, I, I'm like this. I mean, if someone comes back to you with an email from a company and says, you know what, I have no idea. Um, like, it doesn't exactly strike a lot of trust in, you know, your, your belief in a company that can no. actually do stuff. But unfortunately, I think, that is the case half the time. <laughs> I mean, um, I think that what happened was, and I remember one thing in the comments was somebody um, brought up the, was it the Games Quest? Because it was Games Quest you used, wasn't it? Yeah. For yeah. the fulfillment. So they brought up the Games Quest terms and conditions from the Games Quest website, and it says, we will aim to dispatch your order within X amount of time, and you'll have a tracking number and everything like that. And I don't think they realised at the time that Games Quest was an actual kind of, um, kind of retailer. I mean... It, in that situation, you've got it's kind of completely out of your hands, and you're kind of relying on kind of third, third-party information. But was there a system? Am I right in saying there was like some kind of system error regarding the tracking numbers getting sent out to people? Yeah, that had ordered. There's been there's been a few. I'm not going to say errors. To be honest, I think it's just a few problems that needed to be solved. Um, yeah. Like I think, <laughs> unfortunately, we ended up bad timing really, where Games Quest ended up in a similar kind of part like it's in the kind of bit in their kind of business timeline as, as Watts did um, where they've got a huge amount of growth they've been doing incredibly well a lot of Kickstarters have been using them you know their, their retail sales have picked up massively they're expanding far, far faster than they ever thought they would be doing um, you know they've been doing a really good job of it but the difficulty with that kind of speed of growth as we saw as Watts saw as well was that it takes you by surprise and a lot of the preparations that you you feel like you need to need to basically always feel like they need to have been done six months ago, rather than you know now. Um, and um, and yeah, what ends up happening to them is that they they got really stretched, honestly. Like they you know they were getting absolutely inundated with with business. Um, yeah. And you know I I really I really feel for them because I mean they they're not in a position where they can go, oh, you know what, we'll just not take that business because we're, we're too busy at the moment. Like, you can't afford to do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, with, like, recently, you know, we got to a point where we're like, right, okay, we're out. We've got all these, like, you know, tracking number problems sorted. We've got all this stuff sorted. And then three CMON projects land up in the warehouse and it clogs up the entire warehouse system so that they basically can't physically do anything until they get rid of the damn boxes. Um, yeah. So you, you know, not just us, you know, other campaigns, other customers as well who who are kind of stuck until this stuff gets sorted. Um, and understandably, you know, sub terror backers are like, why on earth is this project that just came in being done before our project that's late? Um, I mean, it's just unfortunately the kind of the the quirk of the logistical kind of like pipeline at that point was that that's what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's, it's, We've we've been unlucky with a few things and, and have made some mistakes in others and unfortunately they're kind of aligned in the worst possible way. Um, you know the, the kind of timings really hit us. Um, but yeah, I mean, like to, to their credit, you know, with the with the resources that they've got, Games Quest has done a good job. Um, you know, there's been some problems and, and there always is with logistics. Um, but I think we 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 got hit hard with a few big problems um, that's been hard to come back from. Yeah, I think as I said, there was the kind of there was um some things with tracking numbers not going out. So I think um Paul was emailing people 
kind of mm. individual tracking numbers at some sort. Yeah, exactly. There's been obviously the American fulfillment as well, mm. um, which has been is kind of still. I think there's there's still some people kind of saying I've not got theirs mm. kind of yet. Um, I mean, again, is it just the numbers? Is it just like the you know going from a potential three hundred unit project up to six thousand is just you know, I'm guessing that it was Rising Sun that had arrived, was arriving at yeah, it was Games Quest. <laughs> Rising Sun, Zombicide, Green Horde, and Smog all at the same time. Right. Okay. Um, so that's gonna have a that's gonna have a slight effect on where yeah, you can sit down and yeah, have your lunch, but just a bit. I mean, and, and to be fair, like as much as I want to be like, you know, stamp my feet up and down and go like, why aren't you doing my project first? Like, mm. this is probably one of the I mean, I would imagine Simon's their biggest customer by a long way um, and they can't really afford yeah. to you know they can afford to piss me off <laughs> but they can't afford yeah. to piss them off at all um, but uh, but yeah I mean the US orders was was a really annoying one I mean we I'm not even sure if anyone really knows this other than it's like the, the company to be honest I haven't really talked about it too much it's kind of a one-off thing but um, before Christmas when we were sorting out um what at the time we thought was all the US orders and getting us finally out of the door. Yeah. Um, the, the, the system that uses basically had, there was a lot of like prep work that ended up taking a lot longer than they expected to package up and get all the orders sorted and then basically parcel them all up ready to go, uh-huh. put them in a big stack, whack them on a plane, fly them over to the US and then ship them domestically. Um, thing, I think we call it line hauling. Um, Anyway, it worked out the most, you know, the kind of quickest slash cheapest, most effective way overall of, of, of getting them there. The difficulty was at the time because of the the change in the um, well, sharp change in the pound to dollar rate. There'd been a like some ridiculous amount of U.S. customers buying uh, products in in Europe ready for Christmas. Um, yeah. It was like you know unprecedented level of online sales from from U.S. buying into the European market, which meant that yeah. all of the um, of the, the airlines that operated sort of freight in between uh, the two had tons more business than they were used to, and they basically didn't have the space for it. So they tripled all their prices overnight with no notice. Um, so basically what happened is the big companies were like, well, I'm not paying that. So they went to the slightly smaller companies who went, well, I'm not paying it either, who went to the smaller companies who went, well, neither am I. Um, and eventually gets passed down to the people who don't have a choice, which is me. Yeah. And they yeah. go, here's a bill for 10 grand. Um, and it's basically BA's fault if you want to blame someone for it. Because um, yeah. just because of this weird condition in the market, they basically just said, like, cough up the money or your games aren't getting shipped until well after Christmas. Um, so at that point, you know, the, our capital took an absolutely massive walloping um, yeah. on the basis of something really weird. Um, and then what happened, <laughs> just to make it even worse, was uh, the warehouse partner um, that Games Quest, because Games Quest have two sites um, that they use, um, the, the kind of the other site um, that they're using for the Subterra stuff. Um, they, I honestly still don't know how it happened, um, but they managed to miss 140 orders out of the, what, 2,700 that there is um, yeah. for the US. Um, don't really know how it happened, um, but those ones didn't get put on that big package of stuff, and then we only realised once we were, you know, once people had actually got their stuff, and they were like, "Where, where's these other ones gone?" And you know, I'm getting emails from people, um, and again, that meant actually sorting all that stuff, getting it processed, and then we get slammed with all the Simon stuff, 
and then it kind of <laughs> the little problems add up until we can't do anything about them, and you just have to wait even longer, and then more problems come up. Um, so it's been it's been a bit of a saga with that last thing, I'll have to be honest. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Games Quest isn't Amazon; they don't have unlimited capacity. Um, no. So the the kind of the, the kind of conditions are dictated to them by what business is coming in. You know what information they're getting in advance, and how that differs from from reality. And um, you know sometimes they get stuff that's twice the size of what the customer said it was. Um, it, it just happens like that. I mean, they, they told me about a customer in the US a while ago, one of the, the sort of publisher customers who didn't tell them the stuff was arriving. Um, so they kind of knew that you know sometime over the next six months we're probably expecting a few pallets of Game X, um, and Game X arrived completely out of the blue. Um, they weren't expecting it, and suddenly, you know, they've got a publisher on the phone saying, "Wow, my game's been posted out within two days of them arriving." Um, and obviously, like that's not realistic. You know, you need to keep them in mind. Um, but yeah, it's just I kind of, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm making excuses to be honest with you, which is a shame, really. But yeah, it's it's been hard to navigate all of those things. I guess like hard to hard for me to plan for them because um, I wasn't really aware that they were a thing. If that makes sense. Um, which is largely due to my own experience, and I think Games Quest have been caught by a few of these these unusual situations, like the stuff with the, the sort of the air freight over Christmas. I mean, they basically said to me like, "We've not seen this happen before." Um, it's just a completely weird, freaky thing as a result of like post Brexit, you know, like exchange rates. Yeah, yeah. Um, which kind of in isolation is it's kind of really interesting to be honest to see like how how something that abstract can have such a tangible effect on, on a business. Um, you know, you kind of screwed us to the tune of £10,000 that we didn't really get anything out of, um, other than sticking to the original plan, <laughs> which is a bit, yeah. bit gutted. It's not like, you know, we got we got special shipping for that. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Was, um, I mean, moving on to Newspeak, because mm-hmm. you dusted yourself down, you were aware there was still kind of things going on and in the i mean in the in the fairness in the background the new speak hype machine was kind of building there was a general buzz about it the playtesting seemed to have been going well um <clears throat> obviously the sub subterra is still happening in the background are you and then you go ahead and kind of you go ahead and say right okay you press go on the new speak campaign and then it kind of has a decent start and then the kind of how did you feel when you saw the first kind of comments coming in the first kind of don't back this kind of warning comments coming in on the newspeak campaign honestly like yeah distraught (laughs) um yeah i mean that first few hours was brutal like it was it was really hard to see um you know, it, it, it made me doubt everything that we were doing. Um, and I think that's probably a good thing, but in the long run. But yeah, it was it was pretty damn gutting. Um, I mean, you know, we've gone we'd gone from, okay, you know, we, we've worked really hard. We've done all this, this prep for this campaign. We're really excited about it. And then, like, it was, it was a punch in the gut, basically. Like, it was like, basically, the back is telling us, we're not happy yet. Like we might be in the future, but we're not now. Um, and as a result of which, we're not going near your campaign, and 
we're going to suggest that other people follow follow suit. Um, and yeah, I mean, we got it. Like we understood. There was just like, yeah, we understand. You know, we misjudged it. Um, we were under the mistaken impression that the majority of people were, you know, disappointed with how things had gone, but were, were generally happy with you know their games were good, they were produced well. Um, you know, we clearly put a lot of effort into them. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was it was good. Honestly, it was it was really upsetting um, to see that you know the expectations we had for the campaign weren't realised in that first day. Um, you know, it massively under underestimated. You know how how people felt. Um, was there kind of like was there any part of you that thought no, let's just try and power through this and see where the campaign goes anyway, or did you think well? We kind of have to. We had to pull, you know. We have to look at kind of pulling the, pulling the plug here. Because I, I remember speaking to you on Skype on the first day and just asking you if you were alright. Because I know that you, kind of in our conversations, off, pod, that you're kind of you're very obviously you're very passionate about what you do and stuff like that. And I know that you, you do take some things to kind of to heart. And yeah, I don't suppose you can't, you can't not unless you were kind of kind of like a robot i mean did you think i've got a you know we've got to close that down or are we still hopeful things might turn around um i mean i kind of went through a bit of a roller coaster of emotions in the first few days to be honest um i mean particularly the the first day of the campaign you know like i'd been i can't really remember i was a bit out of it by that point but i think i'd worked 36 hours straight um, I worked all the way through the night with the, the video animator John to get everything sorted last minute, which is a bit, a bit stressful, but kind of part, part of the job. Um, and saw the launch, got the team together. I managed to crash for like an hour um, just to get some energy back and got up after a bit. Saw that it wasn't doing too well, or at least not as well as we'd, we'd hoped. That was a bit gutting. And then I kind of, I guess, jumped into we've just got to keep moving like it's a drawback but you know we can't just stop um kind of mode um and then we did the, the launch party which was like an absolutely massive success I and mean, we had like 200 people turn up um over the course of the evening it was, it was it was amazing fun like it was it was so great we had loads of people who from all over london and from elsewhere who'd come to the event just really interested to see what we've done um, you know, people who weren't in the games, people who were hardcore gamers. You know, we had people from like London on board who, who knew their games really well, and people who were just generally interested in the idea. Um, we even had people walking off the street who were like, "This looks cool. What's this?" <laughs> like, um, but yeah, it was it was a really positive evening, and then we realised that even in spite of that, it wasn't going well as a project, um, and that realistically we had to make a choice. It was like, well, do we do we carry on? And, and and kind of use this this as an opportunity to show people that we do care about our backers. We do care about actually doing what we set out to do in the first place, no matter what it takes. Um, mm. Or or do we cancel it and focus on the stuff that we still got outstanding? Because at, at that point we were like, well, the commercial sex, the success of the the campaign isn't really what we're thinking about anymore. It's like, well, you know, how how do we how do we build up that trust again how do we help people to feel as though we do actually give a shit because at the end of the day like i mean i'm not doing this for the money that's that's 
Like, it probably won't be the number one thing that anyone working in the board games has said. It's like, unless you're working for, you know, Asmodee or whatever. Um, like, you do this because you love doing it. Um, you know, like, I'm quite lucky in that I could have had a well-paid job if I'd wanted one kind of thing, but this stuff's so damn fun. Couldn't resist. Um, mm. And I think that whole experience really focused us on, like, you know, why are we doing this? Like, what? why are we in this job? Like, why are we putting ourselves through hell for the sake of a job that's not, you know, really giving us any money? Um, I'm pretty much broke half the time spending all board games. Um, and we realise it's, you know, it is because we love it and it's because we really care about what we do. And we're like, well, if that's the case, then the best decision is to focus on proving that to people. Um and that's, that's kind of what led to, to cancelling the campaign. We were like, okay, right. People have expressed implicitly by not backing the project or explicitly by commenting on it and, and kind of giving their thoughts that they don't think this shows us in the best light. They, they don't think that this proves to them that we care and it exacerbates the existing problems. Um, yeah. Lack of humility or lack of holding your hands up and saying like let's wait until we get kind of get things sorted yeah kind of I, I think i think that's genuinely what people thought and you know it was it was difficult to to kind of sit back and you know what well, yeah we were wrong <laughs> like we messed this right up um i mean part of part of me was thinking we've got to push the company forward we've got to you know we've got to get through this problem and we've got to we've got to kind of work through it um you know part part of that was my stubbornness i think trying to kind of let's keep pushing and keep going forward, you know, keep making good games. Um, and, you know, I, I, I wasn't worried about the bottom line. I mean, it's, it's something that, that any company struggles with is thinking, can we afford to just wait for six months um, and, and see what happens? It's it's a dangerous position to be in. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we made that call. It's like, it's, it's worth taking the risk. If, if we're in a position where we're kind of like compromising on those kind of, it sounds a bit like, up yourself, but you know, compromising on those principles of like why we're actually doing this in the first place, then you know, what, what are we doing? Like, you know, none, none of those are like you said, doing this just because it, it earns us lots of money because it doesn't. So, if we're making decisions on the basis of kind of characteristics that we don't think of what, what we should be doing, it, it sounds a bit wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it just it made the most sense. Like, we all sat around and were like, yeah, this is, this is what we need to do, we need to cancel, we need to hunker down and focus on on getting that that stuff sorted and and kind of spending as much time and energy as we can on on delivering those those bits and like i said before like showing people that we will do whatever it takes like we'll fix every little problem we'll spend the money we'll spend the time doesn't matter how how long it's going to take or, or what we have to do like i mean at one point i kind of like flippantly said if i have to like visit a hundred backers you know, like in that house and shake their hands personally and say thank you, I'll damn well do it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it, it, it sounds silly, it sounds, like, it sounds like I'm being kind of facetious, but like I genuinely mean it. Like, if I could, if, if it was feasible, like logistically and financially to visit every single backer and say thank you in person, I would do it. Like, you know, one of the, one of the most amazing things that I think I've experienced as part of this, this whole, you know, stressful terrifying horrendous wonderful exciting journey that it's been so far was at expo last year when there was someone that came up to me um and said thank you to me 
and I just, I just like what and, and they're just like you know like I really really enjoyed you know the campaign I thought it was really fun and the game was awesome yeah. and just want to say thank you for, your, for all your effort you put in and that kind of thing and I was like, like what the hell are you saying thank you to me for you're the one that was just like I'm going to take a punt on this random northern bloke in England and just yeah. like you know I'm going to I'm going to back him for a few quid and, and you know hope that something good comes out of the end of it um and that, that was the best bit. It was like, you know, that, that's why you do Kickstarter. That's why you don't, you know, just sell your game off to some big distributor and, and that's the end of it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess this is a long way of saying, like, basically keep throwing the the harsh words at me, I guess, like, because I'm going to listen. <laughs> like, um, as, as much of it kind of self-flagellatory as, as the whole thing is, like, I mean, I said to people before, like, it's, it's good that they're saying when they're unhappy. Because like one of the, I think one of the problems with with the Newspeak campaign was that we we thought that people were generally happy apart from these couple of issues, um, yeah. or at least we, we kind of characterised them in that way, and that that was a mistake. Um, but when people tell you when they're unhappy, you can do something about it, and then you know when you do something about it, it shows obviously you, you care and and that and that you really do you do value what they've got to say. Um, but I think the difficulty was that we hadn't really understood people well enough. And to kind of follow that through, so yeah. So Newspeak, Newspeak will be back at some point in the future. Yeah, once absolutely. Things get kind of kind of get cleared away. Obviously, if there's anybody out there that's listening to Peter and they want to, kind of, what's the what's the best way to kind of reach out to you guys at the moment? I know they can they can obviously mm-hmm. they've they've got. Um, you can obviously go through your your Kickstarter and your messages, but if anybody wants to kind of reach out regarding the Subterra campaign or ask questions about Newspeak or anything like that, what's the easiest way to reach out to you that way? Uh, yes, I mean if it's if it's like a general question, um, best person to, to get in contact with is Paul. Uh, that's hmm. community at itbboardgames.com. So chuck him an email um, and he'll get back to you. Like it's as simple as that, really. Um, if you've got like a you know if you've got like, you need like a replacement part for your game or you're not sure what's happening with your game if it's if it's not been delivered yet. Again, same email address. Um, if you if you want to talk to me directly, then, then my email's contact at itvboardgames.com. It's like horrendously generic, but that one goes yeah. that one goes straight to me. The emails that is, is probably the best way to get in contact with us if you want like a specific thing sorted out. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean the, the difficulty with platforms like like Kickstarter and Facebook is that it's it's not very easy to manage. Um, you know which things need like something sorting, and which things is just like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, just a generic comment. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it's like it, sometimes you know it's not like you if you read through every single comment and every single interaction on Facebook, I think you probably go mad. Um, it's just not feasible, and because it's not structured in a way that that's really meant for that kind of thing. Um, I mean, on the Kickstarter front, I'm actually I've been spending a lot of time recently building a system um, in a Salesforce actually, so that. I can manage Kickstarter comments and Kickstarter messages in the same way we deal with like sort of um, like customer service emails where it's like, you know, I need a replacement for this. Because generally on Kickstarter, it's like a specific issue um, that, that needs to be dealt with. Um, but yeah, that's going to take a bit of time to implement, I think. But, but yeah, anyway, so <laughs> a bit, bit of a rambling answer, but basically contact the ITB board games or community ITB board games and you'll get an answer. Okay. Um... Yeah, so as I said, uh, Peter's given you the email addresses. So um, yeah, any questions at all, um, reach out. You know, mm-hmm. don't stay silent, and he'll do his best to um, he'll do his best to kind of help you out, um, absolutely as much as he can. Yeah. Um, thanks very much for coming on. 
Yeah, no problem at all. I think uh, having a chat about having a chat about this is probably better than putting out a. It's also better than maybe putting out an update because you get a tone. Yeah, yeah. It's like I said before. I mean, like it, all these like different platforms, it, it's it's hard to get you know hundred percent of what someone's saying. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's it's nice. I think it'd be, it'd be nice if I could like sit in a room with all the backers and just be like, <laughs> "Hey guys, like I'm yeah. really struggling here. <laughs> Give me a break for a second, and I'll sort it." Because um, I think they'd be like, "All right, it's just this, this, you know." Northern bloke who's probably flapping a bit and needs a bit of a break, or maybe he needs a. It's the kind of thing where I imagine in that that kind of context, I mean, it's happened before where I've been talking to someone, and they're like, oh, you know, they've got got a complaint to make or something, and then you explain to them what it is face to face, and they go, oh, actually, I can sort that out for you, and I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, that's really helpful, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Now this has been. Uh... This has been, I was going to say it's been a lot of fun, but it's not because it's kind of like, it'd be a lot of fun if I was some kind of sociopath. <laughs> uh, the kid is sitting there going, okay, let's hear you suffer, Blanken. <laughs> this is good. I'm in, well enjoying myself. Um, but if you want to keep an eye on um, on what we're up to, you can get us through the usual channels. You can um, you can get through Facebook at We're Not Wizards. You can get us through Twitter at We're Not Wizards. You can get us through. YouTube, if you go to YouTube and if you search for We're Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast, you can find us there. You can find us on Stitcher and Spreaker and potentially Spotify. We still haven't heard whether or not Spotify is going to be having us con. Don't know. You know, they might do, they might not. The decision's in their hands. Um, you can obviously, um, you can email us, which is magic at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Instagram, which is We're Not Wizards. Um, we're on you can support us through Patreon, which is Patreon, which is We're Not Wizards as well, and we thank everybody who decides to chuck us a buck, which is really nice of you. Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, then please tell other people, let other people aware that we exist. Um, we appreciate every single person that drops by, says hello, and listens to the show. If you really like us, then please jump onto iTunes and drop us a subscription. Um, if you like us even more, drop us a review or a rating and as we say if you are going to give us a rating or a review don't give us 10 stars because that'll make us big headed <laughs> don't give us one because that'll make us cry give us a five because it's in the middle and it's and it's average and we are decidedly average um but again person who's not been average um and we appreciate his time, is uh, Mr. Peter Blankern. So thank you again, Peter, for coming on. Thank you yeah. very, very thank much you for your time and for being kind of open and honest about the, the about the campaign, which is much appreciated. Um, there's only a couple more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. <laughs> are we wizards, Peter? Oh, we're definitely not wizards. Definitely not wizards. Yeah. And the second thing is to say goodbye. Uh, so it's a goodbye. It's a goodbye from Mr. Peter Blenken from Inside the Box Board Games. So say goodbye, Peter. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Um, guess what? I sent a email to Kill Many or Not or Simon. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> They'll probably say no. So their, their corporate a, machine works well. I'm tempted. I know. 
<laughs> probably already got me on spam filter or something straight in the spam. Don't let him on. Um, however, we've got lots of lovely people coming up over the next couple of weeks, um, including the um, one of the designers from Dinosaur Island, Mr. Brian Lewis, who worked along with John Gilmore. He's going to be coming on the show to be talking about Dinosaur Island, as well as any other projects he's got working in. We are going to be... Um, Speaking to Dave Carl's coming back on from Steamforge Games, we've got uh, we've got Katie from Katie's Game Corner. She's coming back on as well. We have got Mike Barnes is coming back on from Who Dares Rolls. It's just so many, so much, many people. Tristan Hall's coming back on. Oh, awesome! It's just so packed. We've got Ian McAllister from the Giant Brain. We've got um, oh, it's just I just can't even talk about it. It's just a plethora of people that you should be <laughs> coming on and listening to. But again, thank you for listening. But until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>